Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Josh Brown, there is tons of gaming news. Literally, as we were putting the notes together for this show, a whole bunch of stuff started exploding about these, this state of Sony, the state of Microsoft, the state of a Silent Hill game about to be announced. Tons going on. Hey, hey, Scott, before we start, all I want to <laughs> say is, look at us, man. Can you believe <laughs> we're here actually talking about an official Silent Hill news imminent drop. Not I can't me. believe that it actually feels like it's going to happen. That Konami, I'm sorry I'm jumping ahead, no, but I just it. can't believe that after years of rumors and covering it <laughs> informally and everyone telling us that we were clickbaiting everything. <laughs> we knew all along. We knew all along. I yeah. need to find the original video that we did the first time that we talked about it because I forget the amount of sources that have covered this over the years. I feel like we've talked about it for about seven to eight years. Yes. It's a long time. Um, and I, yeah, there was, I mean, there's various Sound Hill projects assumedly are about to be announced. Let's invert the show because we were going to do, we were going to talk about Scorn, yes, the latest horror we game that's on Xbox. Is that real? Um, which is, it's a phenomenal game. We'll get back to that. You finished it. I'm about, I don't know how far through I am, about 40 minutes, but it's only a three to four hour game anyway. And um, we'll get back to Scorn because um, let's do a little bit of Sound Hill stuff because that is the big breaking thing. Um, yes, the Sound Hill official account has tweeted out um, that a new game is finally coming. They have quoted, in your restless dreams, do you see that town and say the latest updates for the Silent Hill series will be revealed during the Silent Hill transmission on Wednesday, October 19th at 2 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. That's 10 p.m. UK time. That's um, late. It's a very it's a, it's a nice hour to reveal a Silent Hill, I feel. <laughs> um, but an interesting point um, that the Silent Hill Reddit people have picked up, the Reddit people, that's who I'm going to refer to them as, is that the Silent Hill logo shown in the tweet is the original game's logo. That's right. And a Silent Hill 1 remake isn't part of the various rumored projects. It's not. Those rumored projects, um, there's three of them, is a Silent Hill 2 remake from Bloober Team um, of Blair Witch fame and Layers of Fear and whatever, um, and a, as original Silent Hill game, which is more like a third-person thing. And then there's like a branching Telltale-style game too. So we'll see what the hell happens. I'm going to just believe it when I see it. I'm glad they're finally tweeting something. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they phrased it as the latest updates for the Silent Hill series, that could still be a pachinko machine and a T-shirt. It could, but Konami <laughs> is a lot of things, right? Konami has made a lot of mistakes. However, Jump. I don't think they would be foolish enough to hype people up for a big Silent Hill reveal and then deliver something um, incredibly disappointing mm. like new merch or whatever. I think they understand that if they're going to talk about Silent Hill, if they're going to announce it in this way, mm. 
after years and years of speculation, after years and years of rumors, after years and years of the internet being so clued in, mm. like they've got to know <laughs> what they're dealing with. They've got to know that anything they say will have these huge expectations. And because of that, and because mm. it is this kind of like hour long thing, and it's about the future of Silent Hill, and because these rumors just won't go away, it's got to be the new games, or at least one of the new games Do announced. Do you trust Konami in 2022? Because the thing is that's interesting with them, they've done various small steps to get back in people's good graces. There's a really cool Castlevania collection. They even brought across the Game Boy Advance games into the collection. Um, there's a TMNT collection, the Cowabunga collection, a lot of people are really liking. Um, little sort of baby steps of just going like, remember when we did cool stuff? Remember when we had all these games? Remember when we had a legacy? And all these different franchises that were associated with us. They haven't gone anywhere near Metal Gear yet, although Kojima has been tweeting a lot of Metal Gear artwork stuff uh, recently, and they haven't done Sound Hill stuff until now, but do you think that in the, the weird trajectory they've had for the last seven years, do they pull it all back and go, here's a full-on AAA, like, creatively-minded Silent Hill game. I think they do, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's not because Konami... Did a little finger point there. And I'll tell you for why. I'll tell you I'll for tell why. You why. I'll bloody tell you, Scott Tilford. <laughs> get you told. It's not because I think Konami is wanting to get back in the game, or that mm. they suddenly have found millions of dollars to produce a triple-A Silent Hill game when they're more you know, comfortable making money elsewhere by spending much less. I think it's because the rumors suggest that it's Sony's involvement in particular that's kind of clinched this you know the True. rumors are that they are on as a kind of co-producer are helping put up some of the money and will get at least one of these games exclusive to their console and i mm -hmm. think that involvement is probably what's going to spur on a bigger push um towards a bigger silent hill game compared to you know the metal gear survive approach well, or the e-football e approach oh god, god i've got e-football yeah man. they probably turned that around but the launch state of that was an absolute fire the thing is like one of the rumors that was doing the rounds or again one of the most likely possibilities was always that sony go to konami and say look we'll do all the heavy lifting yeah. we have all this association with pt and you know various associations with silent hill being on playstation back in the late 90s or the early 2000s we'll do it for you don't worry about it just sit back in the corner and take your money and we'll do the rest of it for you so i wonder how much they are involved in it and um, because to bring in something that was breaking as we were putting the notes together for this um, I'm just going to refer to her as reputable data analyst Millie A and the fact that this tweet's blown up so much as makes me assume there's a lot of legitimacy to it but sadly I've not heard of Millie A before um, but reputable data analyst Millie A has tweeted that the ongoing CMA investigation into Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard the CMA being a UK body based around I forget what CMA stands for um, but based around uh, business acquisitions and mergers and everything um, yeah, the CMA, the ongoing CMA investigation into Microsoft's Activision uh, acquisition, Activision acquisition <laughs> has delayed PlayStation Showcase plans. They said, uh, Millie said, that exclusive titles and first-party IP were locked in, but Sony believe a showcase will add weight to Microsoft's arguments of an expectation of exclusives. Now, I've added the last, the last bit of that because they just said it'll bolster the arguments. Um, but Microsoft's whole thing is, don't worry about it. We can have a Call of Duty exclusives. You know, we're not going to go down the exclusives route. And assumedly, if Sony then come out and say, we've locked down... Silent Hill, and according to Millie, um, Kojima's Who Am I game, um, that that'll only shake things up a bit too much because then they're just trying to have their cake and exclusive it too. Yeah, listen, I can totally see this being a reason why they would want to kind of hold off because they are going to these bodies and saying, look, if this deal goes through, if Microsoft manages to, you know, buy something as big as Call of Duty and align mm. it with their console, they will have market dominance. You can't really, in my opinion, make that argument while going out to <laughs> Kojima Productions 
options and saying, can we get Death Stranding 2 exclusive? Securing portions of the market. Exactly, securing <laughs> portions of the market. Can we get Silent Hill exclusive? They've already got, you know, a relationship with Square Enix and their games they would no doubt show in this, um, you know, showcase, mm-hmm. like Final Fantasy 16, like Final Fantasy 7 Part 2. You know, yeah. they. I just don't think it's good optics for them to be saying it's dangerous if Microsoft gets these exclusives mm-hmm. while coming out and saying... Look at all these exclusives <laughs> we've just acquired, my friends. And but yes, also, they aren't buying them outright, but those deal, those deals are still like the same idea. It's still mm. aligning specific brands and franchises with your console in order to, like you said there, gain a market dominance, mm. gain uh, fans and sway fans to your machine. Yeah, yeah. So the end of that, uh, the Millie tweet was that apparently the announcement was going to be on the 11th of October for the PlayStation Showcase, and the actual showcase itself would have been on the 20th of October. But right now, and I quote Millie, Sony are holding firm. So I guess they, I mean, the whole thing with the um, the CMA initially backed uh, Microsoft side, sorry, Sony side, and uh, and said, you know, it seemed to be going down the route of they're not going to allow the acquisition to go through. Um, it's entered phase two of consideration and whatever. There's a whole back and forth you can get into online. Seems like it changes every day um, or gets updated every day as to Microsoft saying, again, it's fine to worry about. Don't Everything's worry about fine. it. We're going to put Call of Duty on every other console. That's why we paid 60 billion for it. <laughs> that's, that's clearly what we're going to do. Love for all and um, flower power. But um, yeah, that whole thing is the wider sort of um, machinations of the industry around the uh, announcement of something like a Silent Hill. But let's get back to what matters, as in the game. Yes. What do you think they're actually going to show on Wednesday Eve? I think, you know what? This is my well, bold prediction after so many years of covering these rumors. Yep. I think we're going to get um, a couple of games announced. I mm-hmm. think they're going to announce the remake of Silent Hill 2, and I think we're going to get a look at what the next mainline Silent Hill game is. However, I do think that on top of that, the showcase might end with a PT-like demo for the next Silent Hill game, either dropping or getting a date. I think that Silent Hill, the short message, Mm. which we know was rated by the ESRB last month, we covered it. I think that's the kind of tangible proof of concept that they're going to release out there. Which is like when Resident Evil 7 did the beginning hour or the first hour or whatever that was called, which Resident Evil 7 in itself was compared to PT because it was a first-person horror thing, and Capcom were like, we were doing that the whole time, don't worry about it. (laughs) That's my industry voice now whenever someone has to cover something up. Um, Yeah, but I feel like if you're going to do, you know, you might as well cash in on that expectation of first-person Silent Hill because PT was was one of the best things we ever played across the last few years. I kind of stand firm that PT was the game of 2014. Like it was just a little teaser for like 20 minutes, but it was better than everything else we got that year. Uh, maybe Shadow of Mordor beats it, but it's it's a close race. It's a close race. It's a close race. So yeah, we've got Silent Hill stuff coming on Wednesday and we'll see what that is. We'll do a video on it. We might do something late at night. I don't maybe know. we should. It could be about spooky. That. We could do like a little <laughs> Halloween uh, live reaction to Silent Hill. Well, I mean, we'll say this, that it will be Pachinko Machines yep. and we'll have no content to produce at all. It'll Can be, I ask you? Yes. Before we move on, because we, like, we keep alluding to, and I'm going to boast a little bit now. Do I'm going to do a bit of gloating because we've covered a lot of rumors in our time and a lot of them have come true and a lot of them we've gotten a lot of flack for I remember (laughs) us covering the fact that there was going to be a multiplayer live service Fallout game which eventually became Fallout 76 and I remember the vitriol we received for just (laughs) we weren't even originating that rumor we were just passing on what we had seen online that looked legit and Uh obviously people were saying you know that sucks you're wrong that's never going to happen you stink and then it happened they literally said I stunk and I do stink but like that's not even (laughs) relevant to to this conversation and that's happened a few times so I would like to ask in anticipation of Silent 
Silent Hill coming yes. this week. What has been your favorite rumor that we've covered that eventually came true? Spider-Man on PS4. Nice. Because th- this is an ancient one. Me and Peter Austin covered that back in, oh my God, 2015 or 2016. One of the earliest rumors it had been spotted on some... Oh my God, I forget what the original thing was that leaked. It was someone's CV. Um, I think at the time it was an, it was an Ubisoft Spider-Man game. Um, there was something, some artist had listed it on their CV and then it deleted it. And that was like the smoking gun. Um, there was this whole idea, because obviously it's in the middle of the MCU stuff. It was like, oh my God, a Spider-Man game has not been one in a good long while. Um, and Marvel hadn't really committed to their what is now their plan of giving a different character to a different um, studio or whatever. And it was just an idea of a Spider-Man game done Ubisoft style, done in a big fancy open world with lots of different things to do, lots of different goals to chase and everything else. Um, and it was like, it started with the, this guy's listing it on his CV and then immediately deleting it when everyone pointed at it and went, are you doing a Spider-Man game? Right. And uh, and me and Peter did a video on it. Um, it would have been before you were hired, yeah. I think. Or you Maybe you were just writing back then. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're probably still on the channel. You can find it. Um, and I remember making the thumbnail for it about like, it was like making like a cool Spider-Man art thing for the thumbnail on YouTube. That was really exciting. And then um, it just, it only got more and more true. And then when they eventually confirmed it, it was like, oh my God, we've been with this for like two <laughs> years or whatever. Yeah, Spidey on, on PS4. I love that. That does predate me because I ah. was just a, a punter watching um, <laughs> that be revealed at E3 or whatever it was. And that was such a big surprise. I had no idea that it even leaked mm. prior to it being announced. That's mm-hmm. really, really cool. Yeah, man. There's a, I, I like the thing is, like, people talk about like that idea a lot. If you get eyes on something super early, does it ruin it when it's true? No, I don't think so. I think obviously it depends if it's story based, you want to ex- experience something yourself or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes the when realizing it's true, like, is the payoff. Or like, maybe you've been reading about very various rumored gameplay mechanics for something, and then you play the finished one and say, oh my God, they took that in. They brought that in. I'm glad they fulfilled that thing. And um, that can be really, really satisfying. So it, it depends on the, the leak itself. Um, but yeah, overall Silent Hill stuff, I feel like we've been talking about it for like six, seven years. And um, you can go back. Well, I'm very curious what'll be in that finished version. Yeah. Um, I know that there's, like I said, there's about three games that are being teased. Um, plus the, is it short message? The short in theory, message, yeah. And um, with one of the gameplay mechanics, in theory, for the Silent Hill game being some sort of phone app thing that rings you or whatever yes. while you're playing, which I think is a great idea. Um, and kind of ties into the Silent Hill games that were on um, Wii. So I hope they do all that stuff. I hope hey, we get something on Wednesday night. Listen, it's going to be peak Konami <laughs> and peak what culture gaming, right? Yeah. Th- that this just won't happen now. We're going to be patting ourselves <laughs> on the back in this podcast, you know, doing the oh. hey, look at us, Paul Rudd gimmick. Yep. And, and they're going to disappoint us because that would just be, you know, it would just I would just desert. It's karmic revenge. Well, the time we're recording this um, is 1.23 p.m. on the uh, Monday afternoon. Now, that news from uh, Millie A only broke 10 minutes ago. So there's a chance that once that gets back to Konami, they go, well, hold off then. We can't, <laughs> we can't do any of this stuff um, and maybe do their thing on Wednesday because maybe part of their trailer was saying expect more at the PlayStation Showcase, expect more at the Game Awards or whatever. And and everything is being framed by the Sony versus Microsoft thing over Call of Duty Amazing. and Game Pass and everything else. Um, let's do some more new stuff and we'll end on Scorn stuff. So um, the next big old debate going on in the industry is this whole debate over um, 30 FPS. It kind of stemmed from Gotham Knights, um, the developers. I forget who makes Gotham Knights. WB Montreal. It is WB Montreal. Um, go, uh, answering someone on their Discord and just saying that the game would only run at 30 FPS despite only it's on PlayStation 5 and Series S and Series X. Um, they ditched the PS4 and the Xbox One version but the game would only still be able to hit 30 FPS. Um, a lot of people are hating that. A lot of people are already not really looking forward to Gotham Knights anyway. I My expectations are absolute rock bottom. I was like, it's this 
four-person loot thing. I don't need it. I don't need another Revengers. I don't need another Anthem. Get it away from me. Scott and so, Silford, yeah. you, you keep calling it a four-person thing in every time off camera. <laughs> I have to keep saying, Scott Tilford, it is a two-person game. It's the game set after Arkham, isn't it? It's the, the one with the plot point from Arkham Knight. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, optically their marketing has been absolutely all over the place. Anyway, um, the takeaway point being that the idea of a game built for the newest system still running at 30 FPS being quote-unquote un quote, unacceptable, um, which is a whole sort of debate, um, weighed in on, ironically, by Rocksteady um, and Rocksteady's developer, uh, Lee Devanald, um, who literally said the reason so many games are being held back is because of the se- Xbox Series S. Um, he said a whole bunch of stuff and apologized for it later, but dude had a big old rant um, and just said that, you know, the Xbox Series S is a current-gen console that's not much better than the last one. He said there's an entire generation of games hamstrung by that potato, and he said um, that going forward, or over Overall, sorry, the um, the thing that Microsoft has in place is that you can't launch a game on a Series X without launching on Series S, so they're always tied together. Um, he said Microsoft won't let you launch on one without the other, um, and so this has blown up into a whole conversation on is that the reason why X number of games, why the generation hasn't kicked off, etc. Is it all because of this one thing? Um, and the idea that you know, I remember saying this back when the generation was starting that you can. I, mean, I think I said this in one of my reasons the industry's crap right now or whatever it was because you can't make a full-on xbox series x game because you have to make it work for series s yeah and that is to some degree but at least personally quite disappointing totally and i, I can 100 percent see that side as well because mm. the xbox series s in my opinion i'm not a developer is a good machine but obviously it's nowhere near as powered as the series x mm. or the ps5 and if you're having to make you know accommodations for that maybe having to take out features or whatever because anything cross-platform yeah anything cross-platform because it's difficult to optimize for that many machines across the board that instead of making you know two different versions of the game essentially mm. you would rather just kind of like lower the ceiling of the uh, proper, and I say that in quotes, proper next-gen systems mm. like the Series X and the PS5 versions. Like, it is a, it's it's disappointing. I want to see more proof in the pudding. I just think it's kind of weird that two years on, we still don't really have that many um, kind of examples <laughs> of next-gen games that we can properly analyze in this detail mm. that aren't first party like Gotham Knights is notable because it's one of the only big third party games that's completely cut ties with the last gen machines mm-hmm. and I guess we'll see how that you know rolls out whether it feels next gen or whatever also but- way too late in its development it was like right. two months before launch oh we're not doing the PS4 anymore it's like well that's not going to change anything because yeah. you're not going to if it was from the beginning then sure but we're starting to get you know more games like this mm-hmm. you know Dead Space uh, was recently doubly confirmed to not be coming to last gen machines so that's going to be a next gen exclusive Need for Speed Unbound yeah Need for Speed Unbound we're starting to get these third-party big AAA releases that are just sticking to the new machines and it's going to be interesting to see whether they feel uh, brought down by the Mm. limitations of the Series S uh, overall because, you know, I I don't think this developer is alone in having those frustrations. We have heard comments uh, previously from other people from other studios Mm -hmm. echoing similar sentiments. Yeah, man, there was, I forget the name of the dude um, from CD Projekt Red who was talking on Kind of Funny. Um, I'm sure it was during the lead-up to um, Cyberpunk 2077 and they were saying it was a nightmare to develop for Series S. There's a really old interview on Kind of Funny um, where they're talking about that and it echoed similar things. Like you said, it was just that idea of we need to make this work on a Series S and that idea of always having that in mind is sort of inevitably going to drag you down in regards to reaching for the stars or whatever. Um, which again, completely personally, I do think sucks. Like I want I want you to make stuff. I want you to let your imagination go crazy as a bunch of creatives and make something that only the PS5 can do, that only the Series X can do or whatever. And just because it's 
it's in it's a contractual agreement to make something work on a weaker system kind of sucks. Like I get it from the Microsoft side, um, but at some point that's going to hamstring some sort of cool idea yeah. um, that I just want to know what that is. And it's hinging the whole thing on a nebulous, like, what if. But what ifs are what make gaming cool. <laughs> and I want them. I want, I want to know what that thing is. Um, so, yeah, where do you come down on um, 30 FPS being, quote-unquote, unacceptable these days? It depends. Um, I don't think that's necessarily true, even on mm. next-gen. I think we're going to get a lot of, you know good looking 30 fps games because even in the past when 60 fps has has been possible mm. developers some developers like to prioritize the visual punch i remember you know back in the day and i'm talking back in the day during back in the like day the of, Hill. of years of war uh, where they were talking about how they preferred 30 frames per second because they wanted a more cinematic look they wanted to pack in as much kind of visual splendor into the scene <laughs> As possible, yep. and we kind of saw that at the tail end of the PS4 as well, with um, you know, like The Last of Us Part Two, mm. which originally released at 30 frames per second, even though you know we'd had patches for The Last of Us Remastered at 60 frames and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So for me, it depends. It's a complete case by case basis. I think that you would expect a next-gen machine to at least have the option for 60 frames per second Mm. and not lock you down. Mm. Because if there's one thing that I think is really cool, and you might disagree on this, that the next-gen is ushered in, it's the option to choose. Like, not everyone wants the biggest resolution uh, bumps, and they would take 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second at the sacrifice of some visual fidelity, whereas other people would rather it be locked to 30 Mm. and uh, have the higher resolution. That stuff keeps me up at night. (laughs) I, I hate it. I, I can't because I just I can't I think we talked about this before but it's just it's like TV settings yeah. it's always just that idea of if you just tweak this it'll be slightly better but then it knocks the other one off and it's like well tweak that and it's slightly better but oh you made the other one a bit worse and is that shadow meant to be that dark and is that the, the real black level and whatever at some point I just want to enjoy the thing that the creative made so at some point I just want the developer to go this is the best we can do um, maybe it's an unlocked frame rate but at least it's definitely higher than 30 because um, a Plague Tale um, Requiem's doing the rounds at the minute as another game that's only going to be 30 FPS but it's not. Um, that whole thing is that the game has unlocked frame rate, so it aims for 60, but it's definitely higher than 30. Personally, I'll take that. I think that um, locked 30 is also totally fine. Yeah. I think anything that is stable is totally fine. I think the reason that people um, get so hung up on 30 FPS being terrible is that most of the time we have um, games that hover between 25 and 30 or 20 and 30 or whatever, and that just feels rickety. It feels bad. It feels off. But if you get something that is absolutely locked to 30, for me at least, that's completely fine, and like it's nice and smooth it's responsive responsive enough i know that 60 is obviously way better um but yeah in regards to the whole uh options thing ghostwire tokyo gave us five options yes and it made me itch i was just like, i don't even what do you guys think is the best i don't know <laughs> like if i'm going to a restaurant and it's like well there's five recommended dishes well they're not all recommended they're not <laughs> like i just i need you to pick one um and i'm just like and the devs will know and i just yeah it's just that thing of like i wouldn't have an artist in a gallery being like should we should we put more red in there is more blue in that painting? Like, what do we? Is it? What do? You, what do you want from this? I I do get what you're saying on paper, Scott Tilford, but I do like <laughs> the choice. I just think that games are such a different medium, and uh, in that, whoa, I'm knocking the microphone off. Getting aggy. I'm that animated. I am getting aggy. I'm winding. <laughs> you're winding me up. I'll aggie tell you Christian. that. I can't remember the point. The point is, I like the option. Yeah. And the second thing I was going to say is the proof's going to be in the pudding. It's going to be how well is the game optimized, and will. 30 frames per second uh, be enough and feel okay given 
the other next gen improvements that it may make. And this is kind of what I think across the board. Like I don't mind things being locked at 30 frames per second, no. as long as you kind of justify it in other areas and it's well optimized. Like it's not a deal breaker for me. I love 60 frames and will often prioritize that. Yep. But at the same time, I don't mind going back to Bloodborne and playing that in 30 That's frames. You've got no choice. It's still a great game. It's true. I don't have a choice, but <laughs> I still don't, you know, I don't hate that I have to go through it. Well, that's what I was going to say is, is it even a choice if everyone just picks performance mode anyway? Mm. Like, like, it's like uh, the only person I know who picks um, graphics options is our own Joe Johnston. Because like you said before, he loves a good cinematic presentation for things. But I think that's also, I used to be like that. Um, I was going to make a Skyrim joke there before <laughs> I took a 60 frames per second in the knee. No. Um, because I feel like once you've experienced 60, especially consistently, there is no going back. And I think that so many people prioritize performance to the point where now, you know, this whole debacle wouldn't be a thing if if X number of people weren't prioritizing performance because the whole thing is, how dare you give us 30 at this stage where we've all moved on, guys. Like, we need this to be 60. That's it. And like I said, I don't think it's just uh, it having a 30 frames per second mode. I think it's... Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I was mangling this point. I think it's only having a 30 frames per second mode. I think, you know, if it gave us the option to have a performance mode or whatever, Mm. it wouldn't be that big of a deal because people would have the choice. And I think that choice has become standard with next-gen stuff at this moment. True. And that's where I do think it's a little bit of a shame because every, well, or most other games will give you the option to toggle frame Mm. rate or resolution priorities. And the fact that this one doesn't, despite only being next-gen, 
it does feel weird. Yeah, I think that, yeah, my ultimate thing is like, it's always that standard thing of like, well, you can have a higher frame rate, but less visual fidelity. And in Spider-Man's case, that just meant that the windows weren't as reflective because it didn't have ray tracing on. Um, or you can make it um, super like high fidelity and the windows will show your face when you look in them, but you're always aware that it could be smoother. I hate that reality. Like, yeah. This is such an awful thing. Um, and it's, it's the reason I don't game on PC. I don't want to be thinking about what I'm not doing when I am doing the thing that I'm supposed to be trying to do that I pay the money for. Um, but anyway, yeah, we'll see how that stuff rolls out. Gotham Knights is out later this week, I believe. Yes, it is. Something like that. This Friday. Yes, um, so we'll keep an eye on that and then Plague Tales out next week too. Um, Final piece of news is the fact that the Splinter Cell remake director, David Grievel, has left Ubisoft after 11 years. Dude worked on Splinter Cell Blacklist, Assassin's Creed Unity, and the Far Cry, the most recent Far Cry games, Far Cry 4, 5, 6. Um, He said that it's time for a new adventure. Now, I didn't have any faith in the Splinter Cell remake anyway. Literally, do not see Ubisoft in 2022 or going forward make anything close to an old school Splinter Cell. um, at all. And so <laughs> the fact that even the director has gone like, I'm leaving. I can't, <laughs> whatever conversations I've had, um, I can't make this work. Um, that's my assumption is that he can't make this work. Um, I'm almost like, just can the whole thing. Yeah. Like, it's just, it was barely going to work anyway. Um, just, you needed to do a new one. It needed to be Splinter Cell Blacklist style mixed with Hitman levels, which they've said this is going to be. Yeah. But you're remaking the original, so how can it be? Yeah. Dude, man, I don't want them to can it because... The Splinter Cell remake is one of the only Ubisoft things I'm looking forward to at all. They have nothing else. <laughs> Mario and Rabbids. They have nothing Game else of the year. on their slate Can't that wait intrigues for it. me personally. Have you and, seen Rabbid Rosalina? And as everyone knows, <laughs> the video game industry should revolve around me personally. So if this is, gets canned, I would be just not interested in anything they have to offer. So Loomis. I want to grab on to this project and just pray that it actually works. I don't think it will because (laughs) of all of the reasons you have just said, Mm -hmm. but I just, I want it to work so well because Sam Fisher has been uh, treated like dirt for the past few decades, despite his cameo appearances in other franchises. And I just want Splinter Cell to return and more importantly for Ubisoft to convince me that they can actually make a good game again. There is that. That isn't Mario and Rabbids. Mario and Rabbids, legit the best Ubisoft game of the last few years. Legit one of the most polished things they've ever done. I think because they have to. They know they're working with Shigeru Miyamoto and the rest of Nintendo, so they can't drop the ball. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that game. But anyway, in regards to Splinter Cell stuff, I only want to Splinter Cell if you have a team of people who care about it. Like, I don't want an arbitrary box take. I don't want an arbitrary, oh, well, it's a dead franchise. We should do another one um, just for the sake of it. I don't want people allocated to that team um, or the general idea of the team being, you know, we just need to remake this and we're going to hit these arbitrary goals and just get something out and whatever. It needs to feel like, you know, does Splinter Cell belong in 2022 slash 2023 in the generation going forward? I don't know. Like, those yeah. original games are so PC-based, like the way that you move through those levels is very um, unoptimized for consoles in terms of the way that the animations work and everything. They're very awkward games. Like, there's a reason that Chaos 3 blew up so much when it finally started becoming more um, animation priority and letting you sort of improvise on the fly and whatever else. Um, and it wasn't so harsh with the checkpointing and like, oh my God, we found our body from yes. half an hour ago in the level and now the whole thing's failed or whatever. Um, and there's also the fact that the stealth genre is just barely a thing right now. I mean, Plague Tale is one of the only games coming out, or maybe of the whole year, that is stealth-focused. Like, I, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, just, it's just a dead genre. Like, you yeah. get stealth mechanics in stuff, tall grass, left, right, and center. <laughs> but that's about it, really. Um, it's very rare that a game is stealth entirely. 
And so I think that that's a box that they could take. I get Hitman is, but the last one of them was a couple of years ago. So yeah, I don't really have had didn't have much faith that they were going to be able to make this work. Um, and in a world where the original director has now left, the dude yeah. that did sort of help out on Blacklist, um, yeah, I, I just I'll be amazed if this even makes it out. It, it might be another Beyond Good and Evil too. It may be. I mean, they have a lot of games that you know look like Beyond Good and Evil too right now. I think a lot of projects that they have announced that you know mm-hmm. who knows when they're going to come out if they're going to come out in what shape that are they going to come out you know skull and bones is finally releasing after that exists like you know five six seven eight years in development or whatever it is and you know multiple reboots internally <laughs> if reported to be believed yeah i don't know i read this report and i just think nightmare company continues to be nightmare company you know it just they've they've had a bad few years and I just kind of want to see them turn it around, but it just, it feels like they're, they're not writing the ship as well as I'd, I'd want no. them to. Well, the thing is, yeah, for, to quickly address Skull and Bones, like they're kind of, the amount of monetization models that are being punched and kicked into that game, it kind of always felt like it was going to be that. But I mean, something that started as Assassin's Creed 3 spin-off ship game, and then it was like alongside the development for Black Flag, and then it's like over the years, like 10 years now, um, of trying to make this ship-based spin-off thing, and then putting all these monetization elements into it to make the money back. And then the recent thing that's doing the rounds is that they've announced the Far Cry 6 Game of the Year edition, even oh, though it yeah. didn't win any Game of the Year awards or anything, even close to top accolades or whatever. Anyway, um, like you said, Ubisoft just feel like they're in this weird space um, where they aren't playing to their strengths, nor do they even seem to be able to identify them. Yeah, It's just sort of like, well, I guess this is what we do because... We did a big open world formula once, and that's kind of it. That is a great point, and I've Thank not you. thought about that before. Yeah, like, do they even know what people what like they about are. their games? <laughs> yeah, what they are. Do they know what their strengths are anymore, or mm. do they just know what they are known for, you know, in terms of broad formulas? And what was the last IP genres? they launched? Like, I mean, what was the last time they did anything that was memorable that wasn't cashing in on something that someone set in motion and then left the studio? That's with? a good point. That is a good point. And <laughs> even then, like, the new games, the new IPs have been chasing genre trends look like other games mm. there's nothing identifiable about them anymore which nope. kind of sucks because you know for as much as i you know n- might not have even loved the franchises you know when Watch Dogs was announced that felt like a big thing when an yeah. ubisoft game gets announced now i just don't feel anything because mm. they've eroded that trust so much and the games themselves have not in my opinion been of a high enough quality they're just i just don't view the company as trendsetters i view them as trend chasers yeah which is interesting considering that they did used to set things in motion like they had the ubisoft open world template which came from a mix of like far cry and um, assassin's creed and then yeah and then it's just been the case of just doing more and of that over and over again more wacky protagonists more open world collectathon stuff um but yeah i know i think enough of us grew up with ubisoft stuff where you want to believe they can do it again but they need more people like patrice desley they need more people like clint hawking or whoever and that they can put in charge of IPs. Um, let's end on stuff that we're playing, though, um, which is to say that we're both playing Scorn. Um, you got, I think you got through it in one sitting. Just about. It was Good two. Lord. Two. I uh, split it directly in half. Two English sittings. A lot like the viscera in that game. Very nice. I loved it, man. I thought it was really good. I didn't have... I didn't go in. I know there's apparently discourse about this game. I didn't see any let's, of let's that. Let's very super quick address the discourse. Um, the fact that the game was announced alongside the Xbox uh, series systems or very close to them as like an upcoming Xbox exclusive game. And it has a very alien looking art style, very HR Geiger. And I think a lot of people thought it would be a more like action focused horror or something maybe adjacent to Alien or whatever. Um, or just something that is a bit more um, high octane overall. It's not. I know it gets there over time, but the very beginning of the game, including a puzzle in the first half hour, 
um, can be very off-putting, very, very slow, very much a puzzle game. Um, you're just drinking in the visuals, and I think that it unfolds after that, but it's worth addressing that this is a three to four hour puzzle game for the most part. 100%. And genuinely, even when it unfolds, it doesn't unfold into anything that really changes that formula. Mm. It is a puzzle game through and through with some very light combat right. elements um, as the game goes on. Uh, and, and one boss fight, not to Ooh. spoil it, but one singular boss fight Get later in. on. Um, and that, for me was fine. Like, mm. I, I knew it was a puzzle game going in. All I'd seen from this game were those early trailers mm. and then going into it, a synopsis saying that Scorn is a puzzle-based adventure game. And I was like, <laughs> fine, okay. Cheeky synopsis hours, for the win. Let's jump in. But I will say that um, I would argue it's a puzzle game based on vibes. It's a very vibes-heavy game. Yeah. Like, th there are puzzles in there and there are definite moments where I got stuck. But I would say the vast majority of the game is just kind of following a kind of thread that the game sets out for you, and mm. you don't have to think all that much about it. I would argue that a lot of the steps needed to complete the puzzles are pretty much common sense right. outside of a I think it's just you, the application of the... You, you're aware of the rule. It's just applying it. That's exactly yeah. it. It just takes time and it takes a little bit of patience to apply it. Mm -hmm. But that is fine by me because I think, like I said, the vibes are immaculate. The atmosphere is incredible. And it reminded me of like... This is going to sound weird, but I mentioned it to you this morning mm. before we started recording. Mm -hmm. it's, it reminds me of a PlayStation 1 game yes. in terms of its, like, 90s industrial horror. It reminds me of, funnily enough, Abe's Odyssey. Abe's Odyssey, totally. Abe's yeah. Exodus yeah. and all of that stuff. You're kind of like the grimy, the kind of brown, industrial H.I. Geiger-inspired designs. It's meaty, it's fleshy. And I, had, I, I, I couldn't stop playing it, man. It was yeah. weird. That I don't even know why I liked it so much. It just... <laughs> you, you're a big vibes, man. It my brain. I am a big vibes, man. Maybe that's it. Maybe you just nailed the vibes so impactfully well, the thing that is, I like, couldn't say no. When you put it on, like, I, I immediately the visuals, the art style, like, it is, it is very much inspired by H.I. Geiger. You know, you'll see sort of some shapes that remind you of a xenomorph's head or whatever. One of the first weapons you get is kind of just like a, a xenomorph head gun, yeah. where it's not really firing bullets, it's just sort of spitting a tongue out um, and then back in again. But everything has this brilliant, like, macabre, stretched skin over gooey entrails art style that I absolutely love. So many times I just went around a corner or over the lip of something and just sort of just took a minute. I, it's like a living photo mode. Like, I think the reason to play it is the visuals by far. Yeah. Um, because it's just is so striking. And I think that they've done a really good job of differentiating themselves from um, Alien or Prometheus or whatever, Ridley Scott's type stuff. Um, even though when I was playing through it, I was like, this is kind of what a Prometheus game might have been, mm -hmm. uh, visually, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the various sort of um, alien structures, the um, different uh, facilities or whatever that you get hints of in Prometheus um, or in Alien Covenant as well. So much of it, though, is just so tool. I don't know. You're not, I don't think you're a tool man. I'm not. Um, but there's even the loading screen might as well be Tool's 10,000 Days album cover. And it's just like so much of the vibe is Tool artwork come to life. Is that good or bad? Phenomenal. If you're okay. a Tool fan, absolutely phenomenal. Everything is like this twisted. I mean, it's, it's just described on Wikipedia as a biopunk game, which I've never even heard of that Ooh, genre before. I like the idea But I like the that. term of that. I mean, yeah. I'd add punk to literally anything. I'm a big fan. Um, CM? Other than CM punk. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right now, Hangman Page for Life. But in terms of um, the way that that thing sort of unfills itself, um, you have lots of twisted imagery, lots of, you know, uh, human bodies being contorted and twisted. And like I said, it feels like the whole world is sort of had like stretched and uh, like stretched skin over the whole thing. Um, and you sort of take a minute and look at the floor, look at the walls and they're breathing, they're moving. Everything has this like postural feel to it. Um, and I just love that. I think it's such a great sense of place. And so, yeah, I, I think that they've played a masterful hand with it. I think you can kind of show anyone and go like, you need to get into this and see what this looks like in motion. Um, but it is up against the fact that, or the um, the assumption 
of more action, of more engagement, of not being roadblocked by a almost bubble bubble style puzzle yeah. in the first half hour where you're just lining ship uh, pieces up so you can access the next part of the game. I will say, you know, I fully agree that the first hour or so of the game is incredibly overwhelming. Like the first mm. major puzzle that you do, the puzzle itself is kind of difficult, but that's not really really the problem. It's that the space you have to explore is quite large and yeah. there are a lot of contraptions that you don't understand initially. However, it does ultimately work because once you piece together what you have to do with those contraptions, it feels really good. It's just an intimidating first puzzle and nothing else in the game quite matches that same level of overwhelming intimidation. Everything else is, once you unlock that first puzzle, I would argue everything else is very straightforward and you won't get stuck like that again or feel lost, Mm -hmm. which is really good. It just, yes, is off-putting to new players. And I want to just kind of mention the story right now because there's barely one. There is no dialogue in this game. Like I said, it's an album cover come to life. It 100% is. It's all vibes. Mm. However, you can intuit a story out of the environmental storytelling and where you end up, like, you know, in the final mission, in the final cutscene or whatever, I felt incredibly satisfied and incredibly spooked out and intrigued to know more. It was Mm. one of the first games in a long time where I finished it and jumped into an ending explained article and felt, like, rewarded by it. Because I had some ideas, but then having, you know, someone else piece it together for me, thank you, IGN, I think it was, um, (laughs) made me appreciate the story even more because it doesn't tell you anything, but it shows you a lot. The thing is, there's two things to that because one, I wonder if they're planning to do more because it is really, really short. Like I said, three to four hours, which, and then the other thing to that is that that makes it a perfect Game Pass game. Yes. And it's just that whole emerging sort of category of games that are quote unquote perfect Game Pass games where they're sort of three to five hours long. It's a nice little punchy story or it's a nice little memorable story or a narrative or a world or whatever. And the pros and cons of that where uh, it's like, look how much value you're getting for this monthly fee. But a lot of the big head-turning games are really, really short. And it's like, I think that's an interesting conversation to have um, because Scorn is very much being held up as like, well, it was being held up as the big Xbox exclusive to look forward to. I feel like that trickled off across the last couple of months um, as people kind of saw bits and pieces of what it really is. And then now the discourse is, oh my God, it's a puzzle game. This isn't what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be a survival horror with lots of action and aliens or whatever. And it's just so not that at all. I will say that I've uh, played a lot of Game Pass games over the past few months that we've talked about Mm -hmm. on this very podcast, you know, Metal Health Singer, Proteus, other games that I can't remember right now. Immortality. And I would say that with the exception of Immortality, this is the one that's felt the most memorable, that's made the most impact Mm. despite its short game time and its simplistic set of mechanics. It just, it sort of had a sense of purpose and a sense of singularity to it that it's really resonated with me in a way that I didn't expect. Like, I was looking forward to it, Mm. but I really thought it would have been, and this might sound harsh, but a little bit disposable because a lot of Game Pass games this year have been for me. Midnight Fight Express was the other one that I kind of played and enjoyed and then immediately forgot about. Soundtrack was more memorable than the game, but Uh, I still love the game. 100%. Mm. And and this one has kind of, like, left a a bigger impact on me. And I would would kind of describe it as, like, the anti-journey. Like, you know, it's a game that's kind of, like, about... A literal <laughs> journey to somewhere, uh, but this is like if Journey was in hell in first person, <laughs> which I dig a lot. And everything was dripping. Yeah, everything no. was gooey. Everything <laughs> was a little bit damp. Um, I do want to say, in regards to the Game Pass stuff, you made me think of something. Or oh, we were talking before um, the recording of like the idea that this reminds us of Abe's Odyssey and old school yeah. PS One games. And there's something about Game Pass that I think reminds me, it remind people of a certain age of what it was like getting a demo disc from a magazine or what it was like getting a demo disc from wherever different stores used to give them out and checking out various games and not knowing what you were getting in for, just jumping into it and then seeing what, you know, mechanics presented themselves, what genre 
you were now into and just going off the name of something or the visuals, maybe there's a screenshot or something. Um, I feel like Game Pass does replicates that really well. Like the likes of um, jumping into Scorn reminds me of jumping into another like old school horror, even jumping into Abe's Odyssey. I had the demo for that before I knew like what it was and then figuring out that world and like how kind of twisted a lot of that stuff is um, and how sort of um, like gross a lot of the character designs are. And even Abe's mouth is like stitched shut and things yeah. like that. And it's like, I feel like Game Pass can replicate that mentality of I'm just going to try it. Like it's in front of me. I've quote unquote paid for it anyway. And whether it's monthly or yearly or whatever, you might as well dive in and see if it's for you. 100%. And, you know, I kept thinking, you know, if I paid, you know, 20 pounds, 25 pounds, maybe even more, 30, 35 Mm. for this game, would I be as generous as I am being? Because I don't think it's perfect by any means. It's not a five out of five game. It might just scrape four out of five. Mm. You know, like I said, a lot of the combat is kind of, eh, it's not that engaging. Some of the checkpointing is very bad. You know, the game has issues. But overall, is a kind of just experience that is on Game Pass that has a really low barrier for entry. Mm. It knocks it out of the park, and I would agree with you that it is the perfect Game Pass game. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I would dis- discourage anyone from buying it if it does come to PlayStation, or even buying it on the store if you don't have Game Pass, mm-hmm. but it's it's a game that is perfect for this um, system and service. I think, yeah, I think the length side of it is interesting as well because it's like does, like attaching a monetary value to, to a video game that is only three to four hours long, that's a really hard thing to do. Obviously, prices change so much. But I feel like because it's on Game Pass, that side of it doesn't even come into it. Um, I'll personally love a three to four hour game if it feels like it delivered exactly what it's going for. Yeah. And this feels like it had, they had, a, I feel the name of the devs, but they had a specific angle here where it's like we love HR Geiger stuff. We want to go down that <clears throat> route and do a, a sort of first person puzzle games. It is like a still a survival game. Yeah, um, totally. With like a a rollout of like different mechanics and weapons and stuff. I will say I wish it was scarier. That is the one thing I would have enjoyed more because there are a few creepy situations, but it's more disturbing and creepy than it is actively scary. Mm. You know, there are a handful of jump scares, maybe literally two or three, Mm -hmm. but there isn't much outside there evoking, you know, proper horror game scares i think like because i was playing it with my wife and like and she just couldn't really look at it like it was just that thing where even just the art style it's so like biomechanical and messed up and like parts of it look like flesh and organs and um veins and stuff then other parts look like machinery and the intersection of the two i guess that's probably what the biopunk stuff is but then yeah my wife was just like every now and then just was i just have to look away for a bit like this is just this is just gross yeah whereas i'm loving it i literally every few seconds i was like that's so cool that looks so cool i'm so excited this is the thing right i'm so excited to talk to you about certain scenes that you mm. haven't seen yet because it gets so gnarly at points. Oh, there yeah. are some truly gross images in there. Mm. And as well, you know, without spoiling any of the solutions to the puzzles, we were talking about one this morning. Yep. Sometimes I've already seen some gnarly stuff. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the puzzles themselves have different solutions with different gnarly um let's say, endpoints to them. And not everyone will experience the same puzzle in the same way. You might get a different outcome, and that outcome will facilitate stories. Like we had this morning where I came in, and you said, I did this puzzle, Mm. this is what happened. And I kind of went, oh, I did that completely different. You got a completely different and arguably more gruesome outcome. So (laughs) there is a little bit of variety in in those terms as well. Pretty effed up. I think overall, though, telling people to go play it, I would um, get more in the mindset of a point and click. Yeah. And then um, see where you go. There are weapons you unlock different things over the course of the game but it's not an action shooter it's not a alien game where you're blasting loads of stuff um it's a puzzle game it's a point and click it's a figure out what you what what options you have in front of you and what parts of the environment you can interact with 
Um, and if that's not for you, that's cool. I think it's worth diving into for the art style alone. I think this might be the best looking game of the year. Um, if we're talking art direction, I think you might be right. Um, I just think that it's got it's just so immediate. It's such an absolutely awesome looking game. Um, anyway, though, this has been the wind up. I didn't even do an intro. Well, you usually didn't. I, I don't think I did. Um, where I say this is the wind up where we go over the latest video games, the latest talking points in the industry. But that is what we've done. And I'm <laughs> Scott Tilford, and you're Josh Brown. And it has always been a pleasure, Scott Tilford. <laughs> As it always is, and a massive pleasure for all of you. Whatever I say, thanks very much to all of you. <laughs> Listening to this, and we'll catch you next week. Bye bye. You're telling them it's a pleasure this week. It is a a goddamn pleasure. (laughs) Bye. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.